0: It's September 14th, 2008, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Before we uh, begin, on October 25th, I will be one of the presenters at the Better Photo Summit Photography Conference in Monterey, California, I uh, along with several other great photographers like Jim Zuckerman, Lewis Kemper, and Jennifer Wu, will be offering workshops on practically all aspects of photography, from nature and landscape photography, photographing people, lighting, and even making money from photography. I'll provide a link for more information on the blog, but I would love to see some of you there and to have a chance to to meet a few of the listeners of the show. Today's guest is Rick Salmon, and as well as being a talented and prolific photographer, he is the author of over 28 books, is a regular contributor to Outdoor Photographer and PC Photo Magazine, has produced seven instructional videos on photography and photo editing, and has taught photographic workshops and seminars all over the country and around the world. In short, Rick covers a lot of ground. What you'll learn from Rick is that a career in photography is much more than expensive gear and a stroke of luck. It's a lot of work, not the least of which is creating a reputation for yourself as a photographer who is talented, reliable, consistent, and just fun to work with. In the years that I've known Rick, Rick has always served to remind me that the business of photography revolves around not just the images you make, but the relationships you create and sustain. So, sit back and enjoy our conversation with Rick Salmon. Well, Rick, welcome to the to the Candid Frame. It's a, it's a great to have you on the show.
1: Well, I'm a candid kind of guy.
0: <laughs> so, Rick, tell me how you started. You started off in marketing and advertising. So, tell me about your, your beginnings as, as a photographer and how you transitioned from that career into the one you're in
1: Right. Well, from... Well, from 1980 to 1990, I headed up the PR and the advertising for a major camera company in New York City. So I'd show up in a suit and a tie and shine shoes and sometimes a vest. And we did the marketing and the advertising and the PR and the promotion and the collateral material. And while we were doing that, we were also promoting some photographers, uh, John Isaac, a U.N. photographer, Robert Farber, a very famous uh, fashion and fine art photographer, Harry Benson, mm-hmm. who shot uh, more covers for People magazine than anyone. So I'm there in my suit and a tie, and these guys are coming in, and I'm setting up all these gigs for them and helping them promote their work and exhibits and books. And I said, hey, this is what I want to do. So that was about halfway into the job. That was about 1990. Uh, about 1990. Actually, I started in 1990, so... Uh, Actually, I started in 1980. Man, I'm getting old. So I started from 1980 to 1990. I did it. So about 1985, I said, okay, this is what I want to do. And I made a plan to get out. And uh, I started actually working on books while I was there. And I made a plan. One of the most important things I learned was that business, being a business person, is very, very important. Every single um, uh, successful photographer that I know is an excellent business person. So I knew that, I learned that and even today I base so many deci- I make so many decisions based on business
0: well, t- tell me about that that business plan. What? Because there are so many fields of photography, you can get into uh-huh. so many genres, and you know, and you, you 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 often talk about yourself as being sort of a generalist. You're not just a portrait photographer or nature photographer. Uh-huh. But when you were starting out, how how did you decide what your your niche was going to be?
1: Well, today I tell people, and they say, when they ask me, they say, "Hey, Rick, what's your specialty?" I say my specialty is not specializing because I do the wildlife, I do the people, I do the underwater, the aerial, the architectural, you know, landscape. I do everything. But when I started out, actually, uh, for the first five years, I just focused on underwater photography and the underwater environment, and I produced five underwater books. And then I realized, I saw what was going on with digital and everything, and I said, if I want to survive, I really have to do more than take uh, underwater pictures I have to do more than you know. photograph whale sharks and clownfish I don't need another picture of a clownfish so I went to Cuba and uh, got some great pictures and started writing for some magazines and getting pictures for some books and just kind of evolved uh, everything is all tied in together the books are tied into the magazine articles the ma- I promote the magazine articles in my books and vice versa the videos that I do I promote the books in the magazine articles the TV shows Everything's related, so when I when I'm doing something, I'm always thinking about how can I cross promote this? How can I cross promote, you know, what I'm doing with something else I'm doing.
0: Well, what was your where were you as as a photographer in terms of when you finally made the transition? Because you talked about being in marketing and advertising, but I suspect that you probably learned photography early on. But uh, where were you when you made the transition, and did you sort of have to, you know? Um, teach yourself a lot and, and in order to sort of make that leap? Because a lot of people oftentimes worry that they don't know enough. Um, where were you in, when, when you made the leap?
1: Well, I, I would say I wasn't the greatest photographer. I uh, went to Papua New Guinea in 1995, and I took some pictures that I thought were good then, and uh, I just came back from Papua New Guinea uh, in May of this year, and the pictures that I look at that I took in 1995, you know, they're really not that good. But I did get them published, and I, and I used some of them in some of my books. Uh, so I've evolved, I think like every photographer, I've, I've evolved. I've, but I really never went to school for photography, but hanging out with the likes of the people I mentioned, uh, John Isaac, Harry Benson, Robert Farber, uh, and reading everything I possibly could in the magazines, and also just learning how to write was really important. Uh, I taught myself how to do that just by reading novels. And, uh, you know, lo- picking up different styles and uh, stuff like that. It's just kind of evolved. And, like, today I have uh, 30 books. I can't believe it.
0: Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. I wonder wh- when you have time to actually do all that stuff. Because I was just looking at your, at your schedule for the rest of the year in 2009, and it looks like you're traveling most of the time. You're, you're constantly coming out with books and videos. How do you, how do you manage your time to allow for, for all of that?
1: Well, uh, a lot of people think I'm traveling all the time, but I'm actually gone about 100 days a year. I have an office next to my house, and my son's going to college next year. And for the past 17 years, I've been home, because we had him right after I left the agency. I've been home 265 days a year, going to soccer practice, picking him up, taking him to swimming lessons, playing catch in the backyard. No other dad I know has spent that much time with his son. I'm sure there are, but I, I don't know, but I don't know him. So I am home like 265 days a year. But as far as, you know, people say, well, you know, oh, how do you have the time to do all this? Before I was uh, the editor, before I was in the advertising business, I was the editor of a magazine called Studio Photography. It's called Studio Photography and Design now mm-hmm. So for professional photographers. Very nice magazine. I was the editor. One day the boss comes in to me and says, Salmon, I need you to do this. I said, Mr. is the boss, I said, Mr. Mashke, I'm too busy to do it. I just, I don't have the time. He says, Salmon, who's the most beautiful girl in the world? So I told him, well, I think Jacqueline Smith is pretty nice. Remember she was in Charlie's Angels? Yeah. Now, this is in the 70s. She was really young and beautiful. She's still beautiful. She has that show on TV. Um, uh, about, I forget what the show's called. But anyway, I said, Jacqueline Smith. He said, Salmon, if she called you up right now and wanted to have lunch with you for like 45 minutes, would you do it? I said, sure. He said, get to work. <laughs> the point is, if you really want to do something, you'll find the time. When, when people tell me they don't have time to do something, it, it just means they don't want to do it. I find the time to do you know to do everything
0: mm. tell, tell me about the the business the, the importance of the business plan and what what it should you know sort of contain because a lot of people fixate on you know having camera equipment and you know having a mm-hmm. certain skill set, but not a lot of people talk about what you need to have in, in, in a business plan in order to to you know strive for to actually being successful in this business.
1: Well, the first thing you need is a name. And you get a name by getting your name out there, doing workshops, doing seminars, writing books, writing magazine articles. But today, it's really all about driving people to your website. Every article I write, at the end of it, I say, hey, visit Rick at you know, ricksalmon.com. In my books, it says, if you, you know, send in a picture to ricksalmon.com. Uh, when I give a seminar, I, give out, uh, I have a handout that talk, talks about all the free stuff I have on my website and I have a lot of free stuff on my website, but I want people to go to my website because my website is my store. You know, I have books. You know, I have note cards. I have seminars. I have workshops. Um, and it's also my the web, uh, Website is also your portfolio. It's your calling card. It's everything. So you have to have a, a, a website. And you have to have a website, I feel, that's targeted to your audience. You always have to know the audience. I know a lot of photographers who have these very fancy flash-based websites where you click on the site, it takes like you know 30 seconds to load, and then you have this unbelievable movie and the music and, and all this other stuff. I don't have that kind of site. I have a very basic site because I'm appealing to the advanced amateur, the well, the advanced amateur or the enthusiast photographer. I want them to find stuff fast, and I want my website to say, when someone looks at that, I want them to someone to say, "Hey, this guy's pretty approachable. He's a nice guy," and that helped with the that came from the the marketing. You always have to know your target audience.
0: And with 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 the audience that you're you you're you're catering catering to, they're primarily people who want to learn more and more about photography. How has that changed for you since you first got in the business and now? You know with with you know digital being sort of in the forefront of everything,
1: Well, I have to know everything <laughs> because if I'm standing up in a room and you've been to some of my presentations where there's three hundred and fifty people, and whether I'm talking about Photoshop or Apple's Aperture, which I'm using a lot now or or Lightroom or some plug or some raw converter, I really have to know a lot, so there's a lot of pressure on on people. Who give uh, seminars these days because people are you know I started doing these d- these digital seminars about four years ago, and today people know a lot more you know four years ago if I, I not too many people you know actually four years ago most people probably shot or five years ago shot jpegs now everyone shoots raw and you have to know about the raw converters and the shadows and the highlights slider and the bits and the bytes <laughs> and all this stuff so it it, it it's harder, but it, it's great because I keep learning. I learn, I learn something every day. I learn something every day. But what's interesting is that people still want to learn photography. They really want to know how to get the best possible in-camera picture. I have a book coming out. It's called Exploring the Light. It's all about taking in-camera pictures the best in camera pictures it's not out yet and it's pretty high ranked on amazon.com because it's about taking pictures I have another book out just came out called face to face it's about photographing people another high ranker higher than my digital photography books because people still you know know, I don't want to say it's easy to get a good picture today but they want to know the philosophy behind the pictures they want to know about exposure they they, they, want to know all this stuff
0: well, let's talk a little more uh, about, about that whole light. let's let's talk a little more about that whole idea about taking pictures of people. Um, mm-hmm. I know from my experience, there are a lot of people who are very interested in doing just that, but they're a little in- a bit intimidated by it.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: what's what do you think is one of the bigger challenges for people in terms of taking pictures? Of people, is it technical? Is it approaching? Is it being conscious of exposure, background? What What do you think is one of the bigger challenges that people need to sort of surmount in order to be able to start making good people pictures?
1: Well, I think it's uh, approaching the person. I actually have a little video on my website. It's called Approaching People, and just the, It's a little example of how easy it is to walk up to someone. You know, what's the worst they can say? The worst they can say is no. You know. Um, <laughs> When I teach a workshop, I, I taught, taught for years, I still teach up there, at the main photographic workshop. And there's a firehouse right by the center of the main photographic workshop. And uh, the first day I say, hey, let's go to the firehouse. Let's photograph, you know, uh, you know the firemen. You know, let's get them dressed up in their gear. Tell them you'll give them some pictures. It's a good exercise. Anyone who's listening to this, if you're shy, go to your local firehouse and tell the, uh, the, uh, the chief. Hey, listen, I really like to, you know, uh, I'm on an assignment, you know, a self assignment. I'd like to get some great pictures. I don't need some headshots. I need some shots of the firemen with their gear. I need the truck. I need this and I need that. It's a good way to get over photographing strangers. Um, But approaching the person is the first thing. And then getting, capturing, capturing the person's expression. That's the key. One, my favorite photo expression when it comes to uh, people is this. The camera looks both ways. In picturing the subject, we're also picturing a part of ourselves, meaning that the mood, the energy, the feeling uh, that, we're, that we project is going to be reflected in our subject's face. If we know that, we're going to get a higher percentage of pictures that we like because another way to say that is we're like mirrors. And a person looking at us, they're going to act that way. And actually, that's, that's true in life, too. You know, if you're talking to someone, you know how you act. You know, people act the way people make them react. So that's an important thing to remember. But if you go on my site, you'll see on the home page a picture of a monk, a Buddhist monk. You could see when I took that picture, I was showing a lot of respect for him. I also have a picture of these three girls that I photographed in Costa Rica. You could see I was having the greatest time of my life. So that camera looks both ways is really, really important to remember. That's my number one people photography tip.
0: You know, one of the things I, I saw that the one video you did, I guess you were in a park and you approached these, uh, these young people oh, yeah. at a bench. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's it, right.
0: Yeah, and I thought what was really interesting about that is you made note that even before you had asked the people where, um, who, you know, who you wanted to photograph, to photograph them, you had already sort of scattered out a, a place to put them. And you're conscious of the light in the background. And I think oftentimes when people do muster the bravery to ask someone to take their picture, they often take a picture right where they found them, which may not be the most ideal place for, for taking a picture.
1: Absolutely. A lot of times I'm walking around, I'm looking for backgrounds, you know, you know because I'm a travel photographer and I make pictures. You know, a photojournalist goes out there and they, they, they take pictures, they photograph what's there. I'm making pictures, so I'm moving people around. I'm moving, you know, objects into the scene for maybe a little more depth of field or whatever. But in the example you're talking about, yeah, you know, the the people. It was late in the afternoon, harsh sunlight on a beautiful sunny day, and I just had I asked the girl to come into the shade and pose her against this really nice painting on the wall, and I got a beautiful picture of her because I took the time to make the picture. And I tell people that all the time. In my seminars, just don't take pictures, make pictures. You're like the director, you're like Francis Ford Coppola out there. He's making every second there, right? He's choosing the background, the lighting, the this, the that. He's doing everything. So it's very important.
0: What- um, I see that you you work pretty simply. You're not like one of those photographers that has like a camera bag with about three camera bodies and lenses. Oftentimes, I when I at least when I see you in your in your videos and you're demonstrating stuff, mm-hmm. you like to work with a camera and and, and a, a lens and maybe a flash or sort of a reflector. What what is that sort of process for you? Because a lot of people feel like oh, you need a whole lot of gear in order to make great photographs. Well.
1: I teach these workshops, and when people show up with, like, you know, two cameras hanging on their shoulders, a camera bag, a vest, and one of those belts that you could put, you know, I have all those pouches for, so like, eight different lenses, these are the people who miss the shots. I try to keep it simple. on I, I travel with two cameras, one with a wide-angle zoom, one with the telephoto zoom. The Canon, right now I'm shooting with the Canon 1DS, Canon Mark III 1DS, and the Canon 1D Mark III. So, on the 1DS, which is a full frame image sensor camera, I have my wide angle zoom, my 17 to 40, because I want to take advantage of that full frame image sensor. And then on my other camera, which is less than full frame, I have my telephoto zoom. And in addition to that, I always take a flash and I always take a reflector and a diffuser. And that's now I have backup gear, even when I go to places like Papua New Guinea, I have backup gear in the lodge, in the hotel, in the tent. But this is what I take with me in the field because I want to be ready to shoot.
0: And when you're, when you're deciding, you know, what to photograph, you talk about in your book that you're, you're exploring looking at light. Is that primarily what you're sort of looking for? Because there's, there's sort of people oftentimes will think about their subject and then they'll think about the light as their afterthought. But there are others who will look at the light primarily and then try to find a subject for the light. Where do you fall in, in, in those two schools?
1: Well, I just wrote an article, Uh, it's called 10 Ingredients for, uh, actually I thought it was kind of funny, 10 Ingredients for Cooking Digital Pictures, and it was my recipe for getting great pictures, get it recipe, cooking ingredients, (laughs) well anyway, you know, the first thing is an interesting subject, like I went over to Mongolia uh, last year and I photographed this this big... uh, uh, show where they reenacted the charges of Cengiz Khan. It was incredible, incredible subject. So, the first thing you need is an interesting subject. Then it's really about the light because if you think about it, every picture in every single one of my books, and every picture in every magazine that anyone's listening has ever seen, has the same main subject. And the main subject in every picture is the light. Without light, there's no picture. If we realize that that light is indeed the main subject, then we could see you know then we have to think about how we're going to capture that light, how we're going to capture the shadows and how we're going to capture the highlights, and how we want to picture those those shadows and highlights, and then oftentimes we want to think how we can compress that brightness range because our eyes can see way more than our digital sensors and our cameras our, our eyes can see a dynamic range of about 11 f-stops where digital SLRs can only see 5 or 6 f-stops. So a lot of times we have to either compress the brightness range in camera or we could, you know, go to Photoshop and double-process an image or use Apple's aperture and play around with the shadows and the highlights. But it's, it's working with that contrast. My main thing in the digital darkroom is to get the scene back or try to get the scene back to the way it looked, you know, it looked to my eyes when I took the picture. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing, you know. Sure, I've done, you know, funny stuff, but that—that's the main thing, and that's the magic. That's what we can do in the digital darkroom today. It's amazing.
0: And if and if light is a subject, it doesn't matter where you are. I suspect that a lot of people look at where you traveled and go, "Well, if I went to Papua New Guinea, I could probably make some great photographs as well." But when you make light the subject, you know, your subject can be just outside your doorstep.
1: Uh, Well, that's true. That's true. And speaking of that, you know, they say uh, the hardest place for a professional photographer to take a good picture in is in his or her own backyard. And I find that true. I do feel I have to get inspired. And that's why I go to places like, you know, the Arctic and the sub-Arctic and Africa and Mongolia. And, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to do that. uh, But for a long time, I wasn't able to do that.
0: Hmm. So how do you get yourself inspired? I mean, I know that you do do a good amount of, uh, of traveling um, sometimes, but how do you inspire yourself if you're, you know, if you know you're not going to go out, so you know aren't going to be traveling somewhere? How do you inspire yourself? Because I think that's the challenge faced by most of the people out there.
1: Well, I find one one way is to travel with other photographers. One reason why I do so many workshops and seminars is because you know i'm with all these other people who really want to learn who are really inspired themselves and that rubs off i love i love giving the workshops because we have so many different ideas everybody wants to get up early stay out late and we all want to play around in the digital darkroom so that's one way i get inspired also uh, financially you know i want to keep doing books so i have to go someplace i have to Get myself inspired to you know come back with you know good pictures and new pictures because I I want to keep doing books. I've by the end of this year year I'll have uh, three new books and uh, there's a lot of new pictures in all those books and I have to I have to be inspired. It's like a musician. I'm sure Mick Jagger, you know, when he goes out and sings uh, Satisfaction, he's, he's got to do something to get himself uh, uh, inspired to sing that. Because he's been singing it since
0: 1964.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and well, I if think you, you d- see him in. If you see him in Shine the Light, which I saw Martin Scorsese's film, you'll know that that guy's really inspired.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, d- tell me about the, the whole idea of being able to be a writer. Because you said yourself that you you ended up, ended up having to teach yourself how to write, and that became a major part of your successes as a photographer. And people wouldn't think that. Um, you know, writing would have anything to do with photography, but you've been able to create quite a, a career for yourself as a result of being able to be a scribe.
1: Well, um, I figured a long time ago there's a million photographers out there, right? But there's only a half a million who write and take pictures. So yeah, my chances are better than half of them out there because I write. So, I, and I also like writing. Uh, I li- well, I, I think I like teaching and I like sharing. But I also realized when I was at the advertising agency that you know you have to build a name for yourself. And listen, I can name right now twenty great photographers who are way better than I am, but you never heard of them because they don't they don't write, they don't they don't spend time getting the name out there. They don't they're not in the magazines or or whatever. Writing has really really helped me a lot, and I would recommend that to young photographers. It also makes you know. Um, it makes the editor's job a lot easier because he or she doesn't have to work with a writer and a photographer. Yeah, have to work with one person.
0: Well, let's talk about working with with an editor, either with a publisher of a book or or a magazine, because I know yeah. a lot of people aspire to to work with magazines like the ones we've we've written for. Mm-hmm. Let's get your perspective on what people need to know about working with an editor either as a writer, as a photographer, or, or both. What's what's really important um, for people who, who really aspire to have that sort of, um, mm-hmm. um, you know, experience? All
1: right. I think you have to have a good product first and foremost. You have to have good pictures. You have to have a good story. Um, and you also have to deliver a quality product. My father is 90 years old. He has macular degeneration, which means he can't see too well. And before I send in anything to any magazine or book publisher, he still proofreads it for me. Mm. He still helps me out, and he finds stuff. So I do everything possible to give the editor the best possible product. That's important. The other thing is you want to make the editor's job as easy as possible. These guys are busy, right? They have deadlines. They have this. I am never I have never been late for a dead I've never been late and I'm usually a month early I have a new book coming out with Wiley Publishing it's called Rick Salmon Secrets Secrets Rick Salmon's Secrets to Digital Photography it's four months early because I don't know what else is going to come up something else might come up that's mm-hmm. early I'm always early good product being easy to work with be, never being late all this stuff is important and realize that the editor is very busy and I'm very I I think I tell people I'm not the best for sure but I sure am the easiest to work with (laughs) I bite my tongue a lot you know if the editor wants to do this that's the deal I know
0: and being personable I think is sort of undervalued a lot of people fixate on having a great website and having a wonderful portfolio but you know People skills play a big part in this industry. Whether you're working for a magazine or whether you're working for an advertising agency or doing corporate work, mm-hmm. you know your ability to be able to communicate with people clearly um, and and listen is really sort of a huge component of being a success at anything.
1: You bring up maybe one of the most important. Uh, uh, well, one of the most important points of this conversation. Um, that is so true. The best business decision I ever made was taking the Dale Carnegie course. Dale Carnegie, go online, you could find this. And when I took the course uh, in 1986, the course was called, uh, well, he wrote the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Mm-hmm. I think the course is called something like Human Relations, something like that. And what you said is true. You know, I try to listen, and, you know, you're kind of like selling yourself. You know, if if someone's talking to me about, you know, going here or going there, coming on my workshops, I'm not on the phone saying, hey, listen, I'm the best photographer out there. I got the best gear, and you come with me, you know, sit next to me, do what I do, you get the shots. No and say, hey, I'm here to help you, and which is true, I'm here to help you, A, have the best time on a workshop that you've ever had, and B, you're going to get some good pictures on, on, along the way, which is true. My son, I'm going to send him in a few years, when he graduates college, to this Dale Carnegie course because it's so very, very important. You have to make friends in this industry. and, and it, we're, we're, we're all, I, actually, in this new book, that I have coming out of the Secrets book, I have a chapter called "With a Little Help from My Friends," and a lot of my friends sent, you know, pretty big-name photographers sent in pictures because they're helping me out. Because we're friends, we're all in this together. I tell people, I was, I was uh, giving uh, an interview a while ago, and someone says, "Who's your main competition?" Now. Before I say this, okay, just just realize that there's going to be a follow-up answer. I say, who's my main competition? I tell people I have no competition. Now, that sounds egotistical, right? But in reality, I feel I have no competition. Scott Kelby has no competition. John Paul Happy Negro has no competition. Harry Benson has no competition because I feel we all do something different, and we all have different personalities. And I think by... Having that philosophy that we're all in this together, I think that's helped me a lot.
0: Mm. And you really speak to the whole idea that, that you're being of service to someone else, whether it's a student, whether it's another photographer, whether, whether, whether it's a client, rather than being you know, so obsessed on what you're getting out of it, which I think is, is really key.
1: Oh, yeah. And, uh, and this has led to some good things. People have come on my workshops and say, hey, I like your style. Let's do a private workshop. When I went to Mongolia, a guy took me to Mongolia on a private workshop. One guy. This is a dream come true. Same thing happened in Botswana. A guy takes me on a private workshop to Botswana. I could never afford or justify, you know, renting out a safari vehicle, you know, for like a week and flying first class to South Africa and being in a private plane, you know. But because I was personable, like you say, and helpful... It led to that. It led to other things. And same thing in Mongolia. It was, you know, unbel- unbelievable experiences doing these one-on-one workshops.
0: How do you how do you maintain communication? Because I suspect you probably meet a lot of people, and mm-hmm. and it can be quite a job to sort of keep in touch with people. You know, everyone wants to to do it. immediately after they do a workshop or something like that. Yeah. And those connections are important, but it's. Actually, the, the, you know, the, the following up and the, the staying in touch that allows you to you know, benefit from it. Right. How, how, do, how do you do it? Because I, I know you meet thousands of people <laughs> each year.
1: Well, I should have a blog and I don't. But you know, I travel so much, I don't really want to be bogged down with a blog. Uh, I just can communicate through email and on my site. I do my site myself, so my site is almost like my blog. I have a new page. I have a, a workshop photo page where people can send in their pictures who've been on my workshops, um, and I, I see all my friends at the trade show. So, communicating is important, and keeping keeping in touch is important for sure. Hmm.
0: When you're when you're out there photographing just for yourself, just to, just to have fun. What, what is it for you, what is it about the whole process that just keeps you just excited and passionate about what you're doing? Because I know a lot of the time, because you're thinking about, oh, I have a book to put out, I have a DVD, mm-hmm. or I have a presentation, you can often become mm-hmm. um, goal-related in terms of your right, images. Right. So how do you, you, what are you doing when you just want to just have fun with it? Well,
1: um, when I'm with the students, it's a lot of fun. And that's why I travel mostly with the students, whether it's a group or an individual. I am very focused, but I was thinking about that today, actually, while I was uh, driving around that. It's really beyond, you know, the technique, like, you know, going to the Kingdom of Bhutan and hanging out with Buddhist monks and going to Tiger's Nest Temple, which is one of the most sacred sites in the Buddhist religion. And... It's, it's more the, today, it's really more the experience or going to Africa and watching the kill and watching, you know, the life drain out of an animal slowly. You know, all these experiences are, um, it's really the, the experience. And the, so what the camera can become for anyone who's listening to this who works hard. You know, my, everyone says to me, oh, Rick, you're lucky. You go to Mongolia. Rick, you're lucky. You go to Antarctica. Oh, Rick, you're lucky. You go here. You know what I tell them? I tell them the harder I work, the luckier I become <laughs> and this is true, no matter what in life you work hard you're going to get darn lucky but anyway it's the it's the experiences and for as I was about to say, anyone listening to this, the camera you know it, it's not just you know plastic and metal and glass and buttons and tiles for a lot of people, it can be a magic carpet that can take you anywhere on the planet and that's what it's become for me i cannot believe i've been to like more than a hundred countries because of because of a camera it's yeah. amazing
0: there, i know you've had hundreds of, of memorable experiences but is there one one experience that that comes to mind when you think about what the camera and this career has has allowed you to do
1: well there's one i mentioned the buddhist monk before um when my mother was dying about seven, eight years ago, I was, in, um, I was in Bhutan, and I was talking to this Buddhist monk who spoke great English. And when I saw him, he just exuded love. I mean, he exuded so much love, and I just saw this love in this monk's eyes. And this monk's picture, by the way, is on the front page or, home page of my website. And um, it was just incredible to, to feel that, that kind of closeness, that kind of love. Now, that's maybe on a personal level. That was a great experience. Being in Mongolia, where you have 500 guys in the Mongolian army riding over a mountain dressed up like the soldiers in Genghis Khan's time, that was pretty darn cool. And uh, being in uh, Antarctica at the bottom of the world, photographing, uh, you know, weddell seals, leopard seals, the blue ice, uh, albatrosses, penguins, that was pretty incredible also mm. i i've had a I've had a lot of incredible experiences, but I would say the most important pictures to me, and especially with my son going off to college now we have to be in home as I mentioned for two hundred and sixty five days a year for the last sixteen years or seventeen years, are the pictures you know that uh, we've taken on our just around the house on our family vacations those are the pictures that you know for sure move me uh-huh.
0: well the last question I always ask is I ask a photographer to recommend another photographer whose work they think our listeners to go check out and explore so who would that be for you and why?
1: Okay, his name he may not be familiar to a lot of, a lot of uh, listeners but his name is Dr. Richard Zekia, Zakia Z-A-K-I-A Dr. Richard Zakia, Z-A-K-I-A. He wrote a book called Perception and Imaging. Perception and Imaging. And he used to teach at RIT. And you're not going to find anything in this book about f-stops and shutter speed, raw, JPEG, telephoto lenses, flash. You're not going to find anything like that. But what you're going to find is a lot of stuff on how we perceive images, right? Right. And that's what this whole book uh, is about: perception and imaging. He's a wonderful, wonderful man, a wonderful, wonderful teacher, and his book is is by far uh, my favorite uh, photography book.
0: Wow! Wow! That's a great recommendation.
1: Yeah, Dr. Zig Ziggy, check it out. You'll like him.
0: Well, thanks, Rick. It was uh, great to have a chance to talk to you again. It's been a while. It was great.
1: It was great to catch up with you. I think the last time I saw you was at a seminar, so it was surely a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for joining me for another episode. If you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at com. Till next time, this is Ivarian X Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame.